Welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that takes a look back at pop culture from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, loved and consumed by the nation, to find out if we got it right the first time or we should be horribly, horribly embarrassed as a society. Usually it's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the default. I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host, most likely to demand all potential suitors get with my friends in anticipation of becoming my lover. <laughs> I'm Chris, the podcast host, most likely to slam his body down and wind it all around. Slam his body down and wind it all around. <laughs> and I am Seth, the host, most likely to zig a zig. Ah. After tackling such masculine topics as my best friend's wedding, Madonna, and the birdcage, we decided to butch up the podcast more this week as we take a look back at the Spice Girls. <laughs> you mean the Spice Men, right? <laughs> I don't believe there were any Spice Men. There's Old Spice. <laughs> that's yeah, true. There were at least a couple of those. So that's Spice Men. Yeah. Cardamom and such. I don't know. This year marks two decades since the Spice Girls movie Spice World was released in theaters, and it became the highest-grossing movie of all time and swept the Oscars in every category. <laughs> I am obviously just kidding. The Spice Girls were back in the news lately with rumors of another reunion tour, so we thought it was a good time to revisit their singles, their movie, and the concept of girl power in general to see if that female empowerment slogan the Spice Girls adopted so heavily into their image holds up at all today. Two girls, do they hold up? <laughs> do girls and do they hold up before we spice up our lives uh we have a new review chris i'm gonna shake it to the right and read this <laughs> <laughs> he is crab walking to the corner of the room where we have a small table with reviews <laughs> we have a new five-star review Ooh, ooh, that's our minimum from our friend word is superfly it reads as follows this is one of my favorite podcasts about things that were popular when I was young. It's funny and I like the hosts. I often find myself saying the same things they say at the same time. I like when they argue and show me a different perspective, too. You keep casting and I'll keep listening. Ah, thanks. Superfly? What's his name? Word is Superfly. You are Superfly. Word is also Bond, and we intend to keep both sides of that bargain. We will keep potting. And we will definitely keep arguing. Yeah. In this podcast episode, particularly, probably. <laughs> I can't see that not happening. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like to um, follow Word of Superfly's example and leave us a five-star review, we would very much appreciate it. And we would also very much read it on the air. Yeah, no, and we promise no embarrassing impressions of you if we happen to know who you are. Um, no, we just generally honor all these reviews by reading them, so send some in. We will definitely make fun of your name if it is make funnable. Sousaphone Colossus, we remember you. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, forever. <laughs> you are missed. So, everyone knows who the Spice Girls are, right? <laughs> Spice whom? The Spice Girls were a mid-90s girl group made up of five young women uh, from Britain, uh, and they dominated the world and the charts for about two years. <laughs> a year and a half, really. 
<laughs> it's kind of funny how how memorable they are and well liked. I think generally for the amount of fame they had for such a small amount of time, which was something just listening to their albums for this podcast and just revisiting their material. It's kind of astounding. They only had three albums and a greatest hits, and they were really only really popular for two years. Yeah, it's like they weren't really like throughout the whole nineties. They were kind of just a spice in there, like in a in a. They were brief just window. there for a pinch. They're just in for a pinch, is all. <laughs> Before we get to talking too much about Spice Girls, I just wanted to see if we could guess each other's favorite spice. <laughs> yes, we can. Okay. Wait. So, what is Chris's favorite spice? Posh. Definitely posh. What is Becky's favorite spice? I'd say the ginger one. I'm going to go with sporty with a side of scary. Guys, posh. Really? Posh. Oh, that's alarming. Seth. Okay. uh, Who's my favorite spice? Come on. Come on. You know me. You know me. (laughs) I think you're a scary. Yeah. Scary. It was actually posh as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What arguing? We're all going on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, I really, I honestly did not expect that to line up. Go posh! Well, we are going to be singing Victoria's praises. I thought I was going to take so much shit for that, you guys. We have to hasia hotai and figure this out. I'm not surprised at all that you like posh, but I'm very surprised that Seth likes posh. Same. <laughs> I- Okay, so I guess this is kind of dipping into my experience of the Spice Girls at the time, but <laughs> Wannabe was, like, foisted on my ears. Like you were both saying, like, this, they were not a mainstay of the 90s. They did not have a build-up and then, like, a long career unfolding. They were, like, this gigantic, inescapable flash in the pan. Um, and the moment that Wannabe was out on the radio... It was. I was hearing it 24-7 and seeing, like, this group, this girl group. And f- I don't even know why, but Posh was the only one who was, like, alluring to me in any way. <laughs> and it, I think it was, like, purely visual because she went for such a, like, clean-cut look and was always, like, making these very mysterious faces um, <laughs> because she was a model. Uh, but, yeah, Posh was, Posh was mine. Now you defend yourselves. <laughs> I was going to ask what your history of the Spice Girls was. So were you a fan of the Spice Girls or you just like just experienced no. them through osmosis <laughs> in pop culture? I was not a fan. Spicemosis. I was not and am not a fan of the Spice Girls, but they were completely inescapable. And I pride myself on being able to escape pop cultural like one hit wonders i did not hear carly ray jepson's call me maybe for like a year and a half after its release that is absolutely not possible why is it that big of a deal to you to avoid things that are popular (laughs) because i don't like the bandwagon effect and also i know that when i go to to drug stores i will hear the songs that were popular approximately a year to a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. um but for the Spice Girls uh, happened at a moment where I was, you know, in middle school, so I was listening to music regularly, but also hearing a lot of music that my friends would play and listen to. So I heard all of the Spice Girls songs, and they were all played at, like, our middle school dances, and yeah, they were a soundtrack to a very brief period of my life that I did not enjoy the soundtrack to. <laughs> <laughs> Chris? 
I did not listen to pop music as a teenager. In 1997, which is when the Spice Girls kind of popped in the U.S., I was just discovering No Doubt and the post-grunge, like, alternative music scene. For me, like, Everclear and Green Day and bands with a little bit of attitude or had a little bit of edge spoke to me. And I never really found anything in pop music because pop music is often very much about, like, generic love things that were not happening to me. So I just didn't connect with any of that music. And I think I was always driven also by story, even in music, and pop music tends to not have much of a story. Same for me. I even had like a brief country flirtation because of that. Mm -hmm. It's because I really liked my songs to tell a story of some kind. Yeah, and so I think Madonna was the only pop music I actually ever listened to for a long time, actually. Like, I think... I still own, like, all my old CDs, and I think Madonna is the only pop artist in there. Like, everything else is bands and mm-hmm. alternative music. So I knew who the Spice Girls were, obviously, but I also was kind of... I feel like I kind of missed them. Wannabe was released in March of 1997. That was one month before I began listening to music. <laughs> Interesting. And so I know, like, I definitely heard Wannabe... And I remember Spice Up Your Life coming out, but none of my friends really listened to the Spice Girls. It wasn't really too much in my view. I think, like, maybe my sister had one of their CDs, but before this podcast, I would have only been able to name Wannabe and Spice Up Your Life as their songs. And, like, other ones, I would hear them and be like, okay, I think this is the Spice Girls, but I didn't really know them by name or anything like that. I feel like we need another woman on this podcast because I think... Yeah, this would be very different with any other, yeah. Yeah, because, (laughs) I mean, my experience, and I think all the, generally all the young girls in my life at the time were various degrees of Spice Girls fans. You either were, I would think that I was a pretty heavy casual fan, like I never saw them in concert, um, (laughs) but I had both their albums and I liked their singles, and then up to people that would dress like them. So you're basically saying it was like a Thai menu of like five very spicy, (laughs) down to one, like not at all spicy. She was American spicy. (laughs) Most girls were like a level three to five. Like, Mm -hmm. Like I had friends who literally like dyed their hair bright red except for the front parts which were bright blondes which was like ginger's look oh god um or like did the little like devil horn things that scary did like double buns double buns (laughs) i never did anything like that but i I definitely all of that i definitely was a fan like i had both their albums i remember being surprised how catchy their albums were because I don't know at that point if I really, like, bought albums. Like, maybe it took a lot for me to buy a whole album. Yeah. Because a lot of albums at the time, I think, maybe you bought it for the lead single, but then you were disappointed by the rest of it. So I, maybe I was surprised at the time, like, oh, a lot of these are actually, like, really catchy. Well, and often if there was a song, like a, a band that you liked for a single, you could just buy that one single, like, as a yeah. CD single. Um, but, yeah, there also were many times when you would buy an entire album for one song and be like, this is shit. (laughs) But I definitely remember seeing the wannabe video on, I guess it was MTV at the time. Like I remember being in my mom's room with the TV on and like seeing them for the first time. And I remember it being a really iconic video. And I watched it again like yesterday and I was like, this is still pretty iconic. It's them wandering around this like fancy 
party in like a posh hotel in in London with one shot. It's like one take. And there's something really like something really genuine about it. Like they're all dressed differently, but they're like a unit and they're all like having fun, but they seem really like really genuine in it. They do go into choreographed numbers, but a lot of it is just them wandering around having fun. Like it doesn't seem have too heavily directed it's kind of like go wander free and do some fun stuff there's just something really like likable about that so i remember just liking them from the moment i saw them in that video so i never saw their concerts but i didn't really go to concerts in like 1996 and 7 my first concert was alanis in ninth grade so it was still a few years off but i definitely saw spice world in theaters <laughs> I think it was like a, a half day at school. So me and Justin and Chrissy, who are guests on the podcast, along with some of our other friends, we went to the mall to go see Spice World and no one was in the theater. <laughs> and we literally were just like dancing down the aisles and singing the songs that because I think the soundtrack came out earlier or the songs are already on the radio. And we were just like talking to each other, laughing at the movie, dancing in the aisles to Spice World. Same. <laughs> so, like I said, I kind of missed the Spice Girls as a musical event. Like, it's funny that you say that that video is so iconic because I could never have told you what any of their videos looked like in any way. The other one, Spice Up Your Life, is a little memorable, I think. But, like, but like, the other one's not as much as one. Yeah, flew over my head completely. But I did see Spice World in theaters. I don't know why. <laughs> I know that I wanted to see the movie. You, you had female friends, right? So they probably... I had a female them. sister. <laughs> I went with my sister. We were alone in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> if only we knew each other then. <laughs> Somewhere. Every time there. I look up at a... Empty theater playing Spice World, I think. <laughs> we, my sister and I were also, I don't know if we were so much dancing, but we were just like so excited to be in a movie theater by ourselves. We were like running up and down the aisles <laughs> during the movie, which I feel like Pissing it is like on seats. the perfect movie for that. It requires no attention. <laughs> no, no attention. It's better if you don't pay attention it's to honestly, it. Honestly, having paid attention to this movie, I wish I had not. So I think I remember seeing the advertising for this movie and it was probably the first time that they actually appealed to me like as a boy like girl power didn't mean anything to me and I, I wasn't like thinking about it in a more global scale of like what it might mean to girls it just like was like that doesn't interest me no girl power down with girls <laughs> girls have cooties uh, my my brand of girl power at the time was much more vampire slaying mm -hmm. related. Their personalities in the movie and in the marketing of the movie is what sold me because I feel like a lot of what I saw of them didn't get their personalities across. Like, I guess I saw... Mostly I experienced them, I think, as, like, music or, like, visual, like a magazine thing. But you don't listen to their music and really get individual personalities out of them. It's very hard to tell which one is singing mm -hmm. which for the most part. So... I think that they were very generic in that way, and I, I only kind of appreciated them once I was like, oh, this one is this one. And, you mm -hmm. know, when I could finally start, like, matching a spice to a face or whatever. So let's go through each of the Spice Girls, who they are, what their real names are. And we're done. <laughs> Ginger Spice is Jerry Hallowell. Ginger, I guess, is because they couldn't name her Sexy Spice. Like She was named Sexy Spice. Right? I think, yeah. And then everyone was like, fuck you, we're all sexy. <laughs> yeah, that, does that mean none of the others are sexy? And it also is kind of like, oh, you're all about sex then? Yeah. But her thing was kind of like, she was like the voluptuous one with like boobs and hips. And she would wear like, I mean, they all kind of wore like 
little clothing, but she was the one that wore like bustiers, mm-hmm. and she just had like like this curvy thing about her. It's also weird because ginger actually is a spice. and she has red hair so i guess that's where ginger comes from she's actually like a natural like strawberry blonde but then she dyed her hair like that bright red um color yes she did so she was 22 when she joined the spice girls um before the spice girls she worked as a nightclub dancer a tv presenter and a model including some nude modeling those nude pictures came back to i guess haunt her maybe after she became famous and they were posted in playboy scary spice is melanie brown scary spice's thing i guess is just like this wild she's black she's (laughs) honestly that's it's pretty much what she's there to be. no like i think she like the whole scariness is like she has this very ostentatious personality of like cheetah print is like her thing her iconic thing um like ginger spice's iconic thing is the british flag she wore a lot of union jack stuff scary spices is cheetah print and her giant glorious hair um like (laughs) giant curly hair like just really like loud and in charge and those two little what'd you call them double buns double buns (laughs) double buns so that was kind of her look I, I think that people put a little bit more into this than there really is. But she also, she was from Leeds, so she was, like, a different kind. She was, like, a more, like, she had a different accent than the rest of the girls. Like, she, you can really tell her accent is really different. And so I think she's the one who's, like, more out of the box. But in the marketing, it does kind of seem like, when you just look at it, it's <laughs> it really like, oh, like, she's scary because she's the black And also, we've got a non-white member. <laughs> Yeah. Boo. <laughs> well, she was 19 when she joined the Spice Girls, um, and she worked as a, da- as a dancer beforehand. Posh Spice, a.k.a. Victoria Beckham. A.k.a. the best Spice. <laughs> uh, nay, Victoria Adams, before she married David Beckham. Um, so Posh's thing is that she's rich, and I guess that's not a f- just a fancy name. Her family has a successful electronics wholesale business that did very, very well. She was often embarrassed by her family's wealth and begged her dad not to drop her off at school in their Rolls Royce. <laughs> oh, poor Posh. Oh, what a problem we've all encountered. Which is funny now because her entire deal is look how rich and thin and like and fancy much, I am. Yeah, and how much of a diva I am. Like, yeah. She's such a princess. Like I got really into her, not when the Spice Girls were a thing, but I just really enjoyed her when she moved to America when David Beckham went to the LA Galaxy and she got her own show. I think it was was it called Posh and Bex to America or something? Like something like that. And she had this like awesome haircut that I actually got myself. <laughs> like it was this like lopsided like 2005 thing, but like I really liked at the time. It was like short and blonde and like shaggy. But I felt like she was like really in on the joke. I think that's why I like Posh. Like she is almost like playing this character, but she seems like she's actually funny and in on this joke of like she never smiles in publicity photos and she's just like has this like character she's playing but it seems like winky winky to me yeah i mean i was coming back to this with like very little like just kind of thinking back to what i've picked up about the spice girls and victoria beckham's thing now is like you said she's married to a very famous very handsome like football player soccer (laughs) well it's football yes (laughs) she's known for being kind of a princess and rich and so i was surprised to go back and find her like funny and in on the joke it's always the same i never know what to wear yeah it must be really hard for you victoria you know, Charles decides whether to wear the little Gucci dress, the little Gucci dress, or the little Gucci dress. 
Exactly. I know. Why don't you wear the little Gucci dress? That's a good idea. Thanks, Em. Now she has the reputation of being the one who is not in on the joke. She has the reputation of being a fucking asshole. Okay? Like, when they moved to America and became, like, reality TV stars, they became, like, hate objects for being total divas everywhere they went, being super demanding. But that's when I started to like her, because that's when I thought she was in on the joke. So maybe some people just didn't get that i don't know i don't know what it really was just what i got from her was that she wasn't on the joke it's just interesting because my trajectory was closer to chris's where like she seemed earlier on to definitely be in on the joke and now it seems like she's huffed enough of her own farts she's a little dark too which is weird because like the rest of the spice girls are all very sunny and she's the one who's like pouty Mm -hmm. and in a way it's like the pouty model but it also feels like dark in a way too i think that's also why i like she's a little like the wednesday adams of the yes it's like she's like too good for all this yeah yeah (laughs) i like that i don't know um, so she was 20 when she joined the Spice Girls. Um, she studied dance and modeling, and before the Spice Girls, she joined a band called Persuasion. <laughs> she studied modeling. Yep. <laughs> Study modeling. I don't know. <laughs> Sporty Spice, a.k.a. Melanie Chisholm. Um, Sporty Spice's d- deal is that she doesn't wear heels, and she wears, like, uh, track suits. She's and a casual lesbian. She's athletic. She's athletic. She, she in, the, athletic. in the wannabe yeah. video, she does a backflip. Like, she can actually do those things. So, mm-hmm. um, she, Also, she can sing. That's another major difference between her and the other Spice Girls. We'll get into that later. Okay. Um, she studied dance, drama, singing, and musical theater in college and got qualifications to teach tap and modern dance. She left school early to join the Spice Girls at age 20. And then there's Baby Spice, a.k.a. Emma Button. Her mother was a karate instructor, and her father was a milkman. Just wanted to share that. <laughs> I really want to see the porn when they met. <laughs> Is that why she kicks so many milk jugs in the music videos? I don't know. <laughs> um, she was 18 when she joined the Spice Girls. Before that, she had made a few TV appearances in her youth on soap operas and police dramas in the UK. So I'd like to go over the formation of the Spice Girls, how all these women got together. Um, In February 1994, Chris and Bob Herbert of Heart Management in the UK wanted to create a girl group to compete with boy bands who were blowing up at the time in the UK. Um, They placed an ad, an advert, an advert, (laughs) an advertisement in the stage magazine um, asking the question, are you street smart, extrovert, ambitious, and able to sing and dance in our girl group for 400 women showed up to the audition They were asked to perform a group dance routine and have a solo audition with a song of their choice. Uh, uh, The heart management team narrowed it down to 12 girls, um, but they eventually reduced their search down to a final group of five girls. Victoria Adams, Mel B, Mel C, Jerry Hallowell, and Michelle Stevenson. Oh, I forgot. Michelle Stevenson is my favorite spice. (laughs) I don't know what... (laughs) Who spice? Who (laughs) spice? Michelle. Uh, the new band that was formed was originally called Touch, and they moved to a house in Maidenhead, England. Um, Emma Button was the last to join after Michelle Stevenson was dropped out or was fired, depending on what article you read online, um, after a few months into training when her mother became ill. So that sucks. It really sucks. That's a yeah, rough I read something sh- where she's like, I don't regret it. I'm like, bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm, each Spice Girl is worth millions of dollars. Yeah, I feel so. like you would switch out those two years with theirs. I yeah. feel like you'd switch that up. 
So the group didn't like that they didn't have a contract and didn't like the direction they were being steered in by their management team, probably because they weren't being led to a contract. So they met with new management companies. They met composer Tim Hawes and writers Richard Stannard and Matt Rowe. Together, they wrote a song called Sugar and Spice, which inspired the group's new name, Spice, which was Jerry Halliwell's suggestion. Eventually, they changed their name to the Spice Girls, since there was an American rapper at the time who went by the name Spice. And we all know the American rapper Spice, so we would have gotten so confused. I know. What is he, Eminem now? Who knows? (laughs) That's more sweet than spicy. Yeah. So the girls allegedly stole their master recordings while under heart management so they would be able to ensure they could keep control of their work. (laughs) That's a quick fact, but that's huge. It's not a thing you do. Yeah, they totally broke into the office. But I I wish there was like a scene in Spice World that was a dramatization of I would have loved that movie. They're like like on the side of a wall of a building together, like climbing a rope. (laughs) All of Spice World should have been just that. Yeah. Yeah, like a Mission Impossible like scenario at like Capitol Records or something. Yeah. <laughs> Climbing up that building. Yeah. <laughs> There's a video out there somewhere of them telling that story. It's pretty interesting. <gasps> um so they signed with Simon Fuller of 19 Entertainment in 1995. Simon Fuller is a big deal. He started um the X Factor and American Idol upon and did a you know, managed a million other huge hits. Yeah. Um huge acts. So they would stay with Fuller for just two years before deciding to run the group themselves. Some of their first songs they recorded included a song called Feed Your Love, which was a slow, soulful song that wasn't released because it was considered too rude and racy. <laughs> I'm really curious what the song was. <laughs> Shove your eggplant in my flower. Girl power. <laughs> There's also another song they recorded called See You Next Tuesday. <laughs> which again was seen as too vulgar for their target audience. Shove your flower. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. See you next In my Tuesday. vagina. <laughs> so the girls were always heavily involved in writing their songs. Um, and they introduced two key innovations that have been had a lasting impact on modern pop acts. First one was they introduced the idea of songwriting identity. That's a familiar thing in like rock bands that the entire group shares songwriting credit, but not in manufactured acts like boy bands or girl bands at the time. So when they got together, they realized they're a lot more powerful if they all have equality. And so they, no matter who wrote what on the song, it was written by the Spice Girls. Hmm. And so they would share licensing credit and royalties. And the second thing was that the Spice Girls established a straight 50-50 split between them and their various songwriting collaborators. So no matter who worked on the song, it was 50% them and 50% the songwriters. So I think that it's really interesting doing this research that they were a lot more involved. And I think they're smart Um, And they don't, it doesn't seem like they get enough credit for their success. Because what I even thought of before doing any of this research was just like, oh yeah, the people around them wrote everything and put them together and that's it. And they just sang and danced. Mm -hmm. But I think that they had a, a larger role in their success than people actually do give them credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they're definitely seen as this very manufactured group. And really, like, they manufactured themselves. Like, they tried to make them a manufactured group, and then they dumped that, like, record label or manager and stole the music and then did what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It is funny that they're kind of seen as generic when they were definitely in charge of their own image throughout, I think. I thought it was really interesting... Thinking about how I thought about the Spice Girls now and then, they definitely were manufactured and they didn't know each other before this audition that they all got picked for. But there's something like 
50% manufactured and 50% genuine about them where yes, sporty is always going to wear a track, a track suit of some sorts or posh is always going to wear something sleek or scary is going to wear something like out there. And that part feels manufactured. Like these are these images that they have to abide by, but those roles feel authentic to who they are as people. Like it seems like, it surprised me that Posh actually came from a Posh background. Like, that's who she is. It wasn't just like, well, you look like a model, so you're Posh. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you're not really, like, you don't really have an outrageous personality, but we'll dress you like you do. Like, it really does seem that they brought their personality out into who their character would be. So they, like, de- it's like wrestling characters. Like, they, like, developed their own characters. And so even if it feels manufactured that... Baby Spice is always going to wear something like adorable, but that kind of like feels natural to who she might actually be. Yeah, their nicknames were actually not really part of the original idea of it. Is it those kind of came out organically in some kind of interview that they did and they were then they just kind of stuck. And it was like, she's this one, she's this one, she's this one. But they weren't like trying to be like, oh, this is my thing. This is my thing. It just kind of happened that way because probably 40 Spice was always wearing tracksuit so then they're like oh look you're sporty yeah and i feel like other girl groups that you can even think of really (laughs) any like all saints i mean like it seems like they would just be like you're all gonna dress cool you're all gonna dress the same Mm -hmm. um even destiny's child you know obviously beyonce was like the star out of that group but like in destiny's child like they all kind of dress the same they all kind of had the same personality. Yeah. Well, and even like, well, like TLC dressed differently than each other. Okay. But that was, that's pretty much the exception. That's like the only group I can think of, like the only girl group where they didn't all dress uniformly. Yeah. SW7, was that a girl group? <laughs> it was. I would like to shout out Dream, my personal favorite <laughs> oh, girl group but of it did, all time. But it seems like somebody from Up High was like, this This whole group is going to dress like this way, and they're going to act like this way as like a cohesive unit. Even the boy bands kind of all dressed the same, you know? Like, maybe like Lance was a little different from Justin, but like, generally they all dressed the same and all felt the same. They all, they usually dressed in almost all the same color. Yeah. (laughs) All denim or like all like, they all wanted to be like one cohesive unit. And what I liked about the Spice Girls then, and I think now like looking back on it, is that like you have a person in a tracksuit next to somebody in Gucci and like their personality, their individual personality is allowed to shine through in their image of what they present themselves as. That's actually incredibly rare for pop group artists like that they like i remember like seeing the backstreet boys and i'd be like okay one of them is blonde i can't tell the other (laughs) four apart yeah i don't know a thing about any of their personalities from watching their videos or you know hearing them talk on a trl show and yeah this is like the exception you get who these people are the moment they open their mouths in the movie or in an interview or something and it it feels a little bit like overdone that it's like i'm wearing this because i act like this but at the same time it's like a very engaging thing to to kind of be like oh like i get so much about who you are just based on well let's use the word it's very theatrical Mm -hmm. you know like they're very theatrical in their performances kind of at every level of their characters i mean i don't honestly think that they ever necessarily reveal all that much of anything about themselves or their personalities or what they actually think about the world or how things should be colorful yeah (laughs) 
don't except think, for posh. <laughs> I don't think they use pop music for that purpose. No. Um, but I do think that they had a level of control and exercised a level of kind of creative input over their pop personas that most performers would never get. So we listened to three albums, or more like the singles from these albums <laughs> and the music videos of Spice, uh, which came out in 1996, Spice World that came out in 1997, and Forever, the last album um, that came out in 2000. So what did you guys think of the Spice Girls listening to them now? What were your overall thoughts? I began my spicing up of my own personal life for this episode by just kind of putting the singles onto playlists. And one of my coworkers was really into the Spice Girls, so we listened to it on the way to Mexico when we were like going down there for work. So it was just kind of the singles, and it was like getting acquainted with these catchy songs. I tried listening to the album Spice like all the way through. I was in Trump traffic when he visited <laughs> L.A., I was trying to go up the very road that he had gone up and uh, Beverly Glen, and uh, it was completely shut down. And so I was completely caught, and and it was raining. (laughs) You're listening to Spice World. Yes. Like, Donald Trump (laughs) is fucking up my day. And I I had Spice on, and I was listening to that as I'm, like, trying to reroute myself. God damn you, Donald. I'm trying to spice up my life. I did not like listening to this music uh, <laughs> in that way. It did not hold up as... Like, I just wasn't getting anything out of it. The lyrics, I'm sure we'll go into them more specifically, but they're very... I don't even want to say generic. They're just a lot of nonsense for the most part, <laughs> with occasional, like, maybe that's what this song is about lines. And so there was, I wasn't getting anything from that. I wasn't getting personality because you can't really tell them apart when they're singing for the most part. And album wise, like, it's definitely not like a concept album in any way, or (laughs) even like their songs don't really give you a sense of who they are for the most part. Like you could say Wannabe, for example, is about kind of the girl power thing, but I'm not sure that that really comes through in like a whole bunch of their work. The songs all feel very disconnected from each other. They don't necessarily feel like they were all written by the same people. And then I watched Spice World. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I like kind of like got into their personalities again. And, And again, they had the very... It was very clear who they were. They all had, like, a slightly different thing. We'll talk more about the movie later, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. and what I actually think about the movie. But I watched that, and I was like, okay, now I'm, like, starting to, like, figure out who these people are again. And then I started watching the music videos, and that was such a much more engaging way to learn about them. It's like, I feel like I needed an image, because apart from that, like, the, the music itself was too bland for me to, like, even care about or take anything out of. And once it was kind of paired with their image, I was, like, kind of into it. Yeah, I heard most of these songs growing up, saw most of the music videos for all of them, like, at the time. Like Chris, I find that their music has almost nothing to say, and intends not to really say anything. Um, Their lyrics are utter fucking nonsense, and... I like a lot of the tunes. I think a lot of the tunes are like earworms that stick in your brain and you cannot escape their siren call. Um, (laughs) To the extent that in preparing for this podcast episode, I learned that Wannabe is scientifically the catchiest single of the last 60 years. 
um, these like scientists in England <laughs> did a study of all popular music, like surveying all popular re- music and the reasons why popular songs were popular. And they determined that because this song is like all hooks, it's not like a verse, a hook, then the chorus. It's like all hooks on hooks on hooks. And because it's so incredibly simplistic at the same time, it is relentlessly pop. It is like a relentless pop song. Um, And it's like instantly recognizable too. And I find like a lot of their songs, even though stylistically some of their songs are pretty different and are like more R&B ballad types, like to me, there's the strength of their music is only in like having catchy singles. Um, And the lyrics really add nothing to that. There's nothing about the lyrics that ever tells me that, oh, this was written by Posh or like this was written by Scary Spice. Like, so I don't really care if they have partial songwriting credit on their own songs because it all comes out like paste. It's just verbal paste. Like, I don't even consider it lyrics. And, of course, if you have any passing understanding of the Spice Girls, you hear about Girl Power. And Girl Power was, like, a slogan they, like, really cemented in the pop cultural landscape. Again, like, you want to talk about that, like, two, two and a half year period, they were really huge. Like, that whole idea of Girl Power as a slogan was inescapable. It was, like, everywhere. All my friends who were girls were into the Spice Girls and, like, talking about girl power. Um, And I did a bit more reading about the origin of that, and Jerry actually came up with that concept. Um, And the way that she talks about, like, her intention for it was very noble, like, in the sense of wanting to teach girls to empower themselves individually, to teach girls to stand up for each other, you know, and but then the music doesn't follow through on any of that, in my estimation. I don't think there's anything about the music that teaches girls to, like, empower themselves or, like, says anything about the collective situation for women, whether that's misogyny or any number of things that you can sing about. Like, of course, that would take effort to write about a serious thing like that in a pop setting, but other artists do that all the time. I just don't think they really seriously aimed to say anything more with their music than the kind of happy-go-lucky fun side of girl power as a concept. Then Zigga Zigga. Then Zigga Zigga. I feel like the singles off their first two albums are pop masterpieces in the fact that they are earworms that cannot get out of your head for decades. In that respect, most of their singles held up for me. Like, I listened to them, I still knew, like, every word, and I, like, could sing it back, and I could harmonize. (laughs) What I discovered as an adult is that there's diminishing returns on the Spice Girls for me. Yeah. And that, like, I was the one that was, like, gonna do all the research for this. (laughs) And I start, as soon as I started it, and I got on the second song, I was like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And I just discovered that, like, if the Spice Girls come on at a club or, like, karaoke, hell yeah, I'm going to sing Wannabe. Or if it comes on in a playlist with other songs, like when we did Now That's What I Call Music, fuck yeah, stop right there, thank you very much, I'll sing this song. <laughs> but, like, back to back to yeah. back to back, it was complete overkill for me. Like, I did not like it. 
And so for me, I discover that the Spice Girls now, like even though these songs for the most part are catchy, I don't care to listen to them in a row. <laughs> so what you're saying is that you don't want to listen to them all the time. They're more like a spice that you'd like to occasionally <laughs> not saying that at all. Not saying that at all. That life. is not what she's saying, Chris. It's a garnish. <laughs> <laughs> it's a garnish. The garnish girls. <laughs> But let's talk about um, each album individually. So Spice was released November 4th, 1996 on Virgin. It went 10 times platinum in the UK, 7 times platinum in the US. It was an enormous hit. Wow. That's actually really crazy because the UK has so many fewer people. Than- mm-hmm. The songs were written and produced by Matt Rowe, Richard Stannard, Andy Bradfield, and the team of Absolute, uh, Paul Wilson, and Andy Watkins. All men. There were some mixed reviews. Positive and negative. A positive review was from All Music's Stephen Thomas Erlewine. He called the album immaculately crafted pop that's infectious and irresistible. And he said that Spice doesn't need to be original to be entertaining and that none of the girls have great voices, but they do exude personality and charisma. One of the negative reviews was from Christina Kelly from Rolling Stone. She called the group another bubblegum pop group that offered a watered down mix of hip hop and cheesy pop balladry. She said that the girl power concept is just a pro-woman posing and that the girls don't get bogged down by anything deeper than mugging for promo shots and giving out tips on getting boys in bed. So Wannabe was the lead single. It was recorded in an hour. It topped the charts in 37 countries and sold 6 million units as the group's debut single. It was the biggest selling debut single of an all-female group and also the biggest selling single by an all-female group of all time. So biggest selling song and debut. And the catchiest pop song ever. <laughs> Apparently yeah. the catchiest yeah, pop song ever. And Becky knows every word. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Don't tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, really, really, really wanna take a time. If you wanna be my lover, you gotta get with my friends. Make it last forever. Friendship never ends. If you wanna be my lover, you have got to give. In the U.S., it kicked Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart out of number one. And that rebroke my heart. <laughs> I loved that song. Like, no joke. I still love that song and that music video. That's another podcast that I really want to do now. <laughs> so I actually, I don't care about their lyrics. I don't care. I, I, I think as far as Neither the three of they. us. <laughs> yeah, three, that two of you. As much as three of us are concerned, I think I care the least about lyrics if the music is good. If your lyrics aren't going to be insightful or clever, I think it's more interesting when they make up their own nonsense words like zig zig ah and heisi ya hotai. <laughs> Anytime they do things like that, that like gives them a pass from just making banal lyrics about nothing. Wait, you know? I wanted to pause briefly. Is it heisi ya hotai? I think what it's is a, the... I think it's supposed to be I see ya hold tight. No. But it's not. It's heisi ya hotai. <laughs> jumped ahead to the next album here, but <laughs> It is. Oh, I'm sorry. It is uh, high, see, ha, hold tight. But it sounds like hotai. Yes, but <laughs> that is three different ways of saying yes in different languages. Oh, oh. there's an answer. <laughs> what the fuck? 
my wires. Yeah, it's um You can't see it, but my mind is blown listening audience. I think it's like Dutch, Spanish, and um Japanese. See. Yeah. I see, yeah. I kind of prefer that it's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but any the moments of that, even though it's nonsense, I prefer that over generic nothing lyrics yeah i find them there I, I find them the most entertaining when they're the most like whimsical and that is like one of their whimsical attributes yeah so when she says what i really really want is a zig zig ah like i don't know what that is but it's interesting so i know what that is <laughs> <laughs> stop chris, bragging chris you're you're, you're uh, raising your hand <laughs> this is a weird anecdote and i actually like kind of i feel like there's kind of conflict conflicting evidence but one potential meaning of it is that it's <laughs> A zig cigar is a shit and cigar. It's a what? It's a shit and cigar. They had a neighbor that they hated and that was really mean to them that used to always smoke, smoke a cigar on the toilet. And so they would make fun of him by calling him shit and cigar. And that, like, zig cigar was the way to, like... Uh... Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that in several places. So I'm going to say that's the official truth. Guys, some, some deep pop mysteries are being solved. But also, I regret that the lead line off the song isn't shit and cigar. <laughs> I think we might have gotten that if Scary had had her way. <laughs> I wanted to read a quote from Matt Rowe, one of the songwriters who worked with him on this, on their songwriting process, because I think it really explains a lot. He says, They made all these different bits up, not thinking in terms of verse, chorus, bridge, or what was going to go where, just coming up with all these sections of chanting, rapping, and singing, which we recorded all higgledy-piggledy. then we just sewed it together it was rather like the way we'd been working on dance remixes we'd been doing before kind of a cut and paste method when you think of it like that it's like uh uh-huh yeah because like the the lyrics don't even make sense with each other like even a line will have two different meanings in different directions Mm -hmm. like it's not only that the lyrics are banal it's like they literally don't mean anything like one line might mean something but then like the rest of the song is like something completely different So, for example, one of the lyrics in the song is, I won't be hasty, I'll give you a try. If you really bug me, then I'll say goodbye. If you want my future, forget my past. If you want to get with me, better make it fast. If you want to be my lover, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, slam, 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 slam. Make it last forever. (laughs) So, they are both talking about making it last. Friendship never ends. Make it last forever, like... I guess the the message of the song is basically like, these are my friends. They're more important to me than you are. If you want to last, you have to like them and slam your body down and wind it all around. Also, I'm not that into you. <laughs> yeah, again, much like a film we will soon talk about. <laughs> there are a lot of things going on all at once. It's a great song. Um, um, it's a it's a fun song. It it does wear out its welcome. I think sometimes. Yeah. I'll never tire of hearing just that song come on randomly. <laughs> I would tire of it listening to over and over row. The problem but... is that it did not come on randomly when I kept <laughs> listening to it for this. Okay. As much as the lyrics are nonsense, though, I think like the overall theme of the song about like female friendship is like the perfectly calibrated like debut single for this group who way more than other like female groups that I can think of mostly especially like the more poppy ones as opposed to like the hip hop ones even though some of their songs are about love like they're always very unconcerned with the actual men in the equation like that's always an afterthought like even in their videos you barely see men it's always about them and them having fun and their friendship whether or not the song itself is about maybe something that sounds more stereotypically about love, but that's never what comes through from their personalities and their actual performances of the song. 
So the other singles on this album were Say You'll Be There, To Become One, which was inspired by Ginger Spice and Matt Rowe's romance that developed during the recording sessions, Who Do You Think You Are, and Mama. Do you have any opinions about any of these? I really like Say You'll Be There a lot. Yeah, this is like a very poppy pop song. Like, it might be the poppiest pop song ever. Yeah, is that the one that was on uh, Now That's What I Call Music, or was that Stop? I think it was this one, because this, this is the first one. Yeah, I just, all these songs are really catchy. I liked the music video for this one. They're, that, they're like in the desert. vamping in the desert. Tarantino-inspired, yeah. Were they supposed to be Fox Wars 5? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> I don't have much more to say about these singles other than, yeah, they're catchy. <laughs> like, there isn't anything about their lyrics that speaks to me on a deeper level. I don't know how much they're trying to be deep at all. Oh, they're not. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do this for every song, I swear. But here is sort of what this song is saying. Say you'll be there. Yes. Uh, they say, last time we had this conversation, I decided we should be friends. You're throwing far too much emotions at me. So it's basically like a let's be friends song. And then the chorus is, I'm giving you everything, all that joy can bring this, I swear. So then you're like, oh, cool. So you like are into me then. It's friend zoning the song. But all that I want is a promise you will be there. So you want me to stick around or you don't want me to stick around? Basically. And then like, there, it's just one of those tossed off like ad lib songs. But one of the lyrics is, yeah, I want you. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> this poor guy. <laughs> He's like, I'm so confused. Do you want me? This is what happens when you split the songwriting credit so many ways. It's like some other person comes in to be like, well, I love you, but I can't love you. Yeah. And this is another one where, like, there's a guy in the video. It's actually Tony Ward, uh, Madonna's ex from the Justify My Love video. Double duty. This video is really about them, and it's almost like a parody of how manufactured they are, is that they become then, again, like, different manufactured things. They all have, like, their own nicknames in this other, like, fictional movie thing Mm -hmm. that they're doing. So it's, even though the song itself is kind of asking to be, like, this kind of sappy, like, girl and guy thing, like, the video is actually a lot more fun than that. Mm -hmm. I have a note on To Become One. (laughs) The ballad. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that that's a really nasty... <laughs> to like, become one? It's it's gross. It's so gross. It's not gross. It's, it's gross. So, I think it's like anti-romantic. Yeah. Come a little bit closer, baby. Get it on, get it on. This especially sticks out as feeling so written by committee that, like, there's no personality in it whatsoever. It just feels like limp, wet fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a fan. 
We're going to end it on that, Limp Wet Fish. <laughs> Better end on Limp Wet Fish than have me talk about these other songs you made me listen to. From um, I'll say that I think Who Do You Think You Are is a fun, like, disco song. Like, I, that's one of the ones I enjoyed listening more. I didn't know that was a single, actually. I don't think it was a single in the U.S. I think it was only a U.K. single. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't um, think either that or Mama were yeah. U.S. I think they were singles. U.K. singles then. So that when that came on the album, that was not the very first time I probably ever heard that song because I saw Spice World, but... I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this album track. Um, and Mom is a nice song for teen girls who need to be nicer to their moms, but it's not its not really a song for anyone else. And I think it's, a, <laughs> it's not really a song. And I thought Mama was a total ripoff of that song, uh, Human by Human League. I don't know it. Um, yeah, I can link to a video of it, but it's the exact same chord structure. Sounds like the exact same synthesizers and everything. Like, it sounds like the same song and they just talked over it. Let's move on to their second album, Spice World. It was released November 3rd, 1997 on Virgin. It went six times platinum in Australia, five times platinum in the UK, and four times in the US. So still very popular, but a little less so than their debut. The songs were written and produced by Matt Rowe, Richard Stannard, and Absolute, which were basically the same writer, writers and producers from their first album. There's not too much different stylistically on this one. It almost feels like it should just belong on the first album, really. There isn't much evolution from Spice to Spice World. Um, their debut single was Spice Up Your Life, which has kind of like this tango like what yeah, do you, it's would you a call little that? bit latin flavor yeah it was also inspired by bollywood movies i guess like mm. the lyrics are all about color all over the world and they were trying to just send like a positive message about unity oh god How did you look at the lyrics for this song? <laughs> I mean, do I need to? <laughs> like, colors of the world, spice up your life. Every boy, every girl, spice up your life. So I picked up, I didn't, I picked up on one line. I was like, that can't be what they're saying. Yellow man in Timbuktu. Oh, yeah. What? Color for both me and you. Kung fu fighting dancing queen. <laughs> Tribal spaceman and all that's in between. <laughs> Tribal spaceman. <laughs> and all that's in between. Colors of the world. <laughs> Timbuktu is in Africa. <laughs> they do not know that because they called the people who live there yellow men, which is not a term that... Are you sure it's the word yellow? Yes. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes, I verified this many places. I'm not sure which of the Spice Girls or maybe one of their co-writers came up with that, but... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> it really like kind of dampened the song for me because this was always the one I found the catchiest. I was never really that into Wannabe. It's fine. It can be kind of fun as like a karaoke kind of song. But this was the one when it came out, I was like, all right, I'm into it as like, I'm happy if it's on in the background or comes on at a club. And now that I've looked at the lyrics, <laughs> I think I kind of ruined the song for right. me, to be honest. Wait, Kung Fu Fighting what? Dancing Queen? Kung Fu Fighting, Dancing Queen, Tribal Spaceman, and all that's in between. Tribal Spaceman. I'm just, <laughs> I'm stuck on this idea. It's just a Native American man who's concocted a rudimentary spaceship. What is? There's so many questions. <laughs> so they were recording this album while they were filming the movie Spice World. Literally, wow. they would film all day and then go into a van and record this at night. <laughs> That's how you give your best song. And they didn't work. sleep for seven months. No. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there wasn't a lot of artistic inspiration for this album. It was very much a... It came out a, literally near to the day a year after Spice came out in the U.S. Like the theme of this song is, it's a Spice world after all. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Christ. How quickly, I guess, they got so big that that they then greenlit a movie that would be filming in the first few months of them being successful. Yeah, they really overdid it. They overspiced. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who has ever made food <laughs> knows that you have to get the spice right. But like, Too much spice, bad. Maybe they were smart because they knew that this wasn't going to last forever and they got to strike while the iron's hot. Because, I mean, we'll see later that the success didn't last. So it's really Spoiler. 96, 97, and like 98-ish. I guess the singles were still going into 98. That like, that's it. That they were like popular. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. Yeah, so the B-side to Spice Up Your Life was literally just a recording of them talking that they put to generic music. What? Uh, it's called Spice Invaders. I'm out of a bottle anyway. Commercial break music from Fresh Prince. <laughs> <laughs> they literally like were too tired to care. They did not like the video for this, which is Blade Runner inspired. Yeah. And it's kind of a funny play on like exactly how oversaturated they were at this point because it's about like a world that is taken over by Spice mm-hmm. Girls marketing. Um, but they they wanted to do a completely different video that fit, fit more with the theme, but they were too tired to argue. <laughs> so they just were like, whatever. <gasps> this, this The label was just like, do whatever you want. Like, they, you have one day. Like, And they were like, just go in the back of the van, start talking. And then they just like mixed it. It's... That's how Spice World the movie kind of feels. Like, yeah. together. So the other singles off Spice World were Stop, Too Much, and Viva Forever. Personally, I really love Stop. It's one of the songs that maybe I love just because I always harmonize with it. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll just always harmonize with them singing. It's one of those easy I think songs it's one to of harmonize their, with. I think it's easily one of their catchiest songs. Like, that's one of the ones that, like, I'll, will still pop up for me every once in a while. I'll just remember it. Thank you very much. I need somebody with a human touch. Hey, you always on the run. Gotta slow it down, baby. Gotta have some fun. 
I think it's a great song. I think it's their only legitimately great song, probably. That I, it's very um, Motown inspired, mm. and I think like this is honestly a direction that I I could see them if they had continued and just kind of gone more in this direction and kind of leaned into like the cheesiness of like doing like hand dances and stuff like that. Like I think that really would have worked for them more so. I mean they more so than anything that actually happened. But I, I just think this is like a really, really fun pop song and is the only one that holds up to me as like making any sense. Or- I also really like Too Much. Like, I really, really like that song. Like, to me, that song almost reminds me of, like, a Forgotten Bond theme or something. And I know part of that that is because the music video intercuts these moments from Spice World, where Roger Moore, who literally played James Bond, is, like, the supervillain, and he looks like a Bond villain. But I I just really like the instrumentation of that. And again, I thought Stop and Too Much, I think, are, like, two songs where if they had followed more that mold, if they had had time to literally, like, develop their craft as songwriters, maybe they would have gotten more hits like that yeah too much uh was a lot of their videos are actually inspired by movies surprisingly uh that was very true of madonna but it wasn't something that i would have expected from the spice girls but the too much video features each of them in their own movie so baby spice is in poltergeist oh yeah scary spice is in mad max sporty spice is in year of the dragon um ginger spice is in gilda and Posh Spice is Batman Returns. She's supposed to be Catwoman. Oh my god. also interesting too because like the songs i saw as the strongest also were often the songs that revealed their weakness as singers and i definitely think that too much it's like there are a couple notes where they just really kind of shit out on them and you can hear it and that was like obviously the best take that they got i appreciate when they do hit like right on that pop nerve on the songwriting but often it does kind of like show the extent of their abilities so controversial opinion the one Spice Girls voice who I don't really like is Melcy. <laughs> what? Sporty. She is the only one who I think has a genuinely interesting voice. I don't like it. I don't like the timber of her voice. Like, I don't like her voice. I don't. I'm not going to say she can't sing. I just whenever she sings in a song, I'm like, oh, I don't like. She that stands way. out because she can sing. <laughs> yeah, but I don't I like. You're the like you're sound. ruining the song because you can sing. I don't like the sound of her voice. But see, I feel like. Especially because every other vocal, almost every other vocalist, except for like Scary Spice, like has some power behind it. 
but most of the other ones are just doing the breathy cooey thing. Shrug, I don't, I don't like Melcy's voice. <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's a textural voice and I think it's interesting. And she, she knows how to use it, which again, I don't think the other Spice Girls really knew how to use their voices fully. In my mind, like Sporty was always kind of the weak link of the group. So I was surprised going back because I, I was, like I said, listening to this before I put any visuals to it. I just assumed that the one who could actually sing was the black girl. Uh, and I was like, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably uh, Mel B. And then I was really surprised when I watched the music video that I was like, oh, that's sporty. She's the one who can actually sing. And she's like the tiniest one, too. <laughs> yeah. She's so small. Yeah, in addition to thinking that Stop was their best song, I also really liked the video. It's definitely the most British, but it, it has them just kind of like walking the streets. It was filmed partially in Dublin and I think partially somewhere in England. But it's it's just like a bunch of British like locals like reacting to their music and they're very like... It's easy to forget that the Spice Girls are British sometimes. I, I feel disagree. Like, <laughs> unless you hear them like talking, but like musically, there's nothing that sounds. British. Yeah, musically, they're not British. You know, they're kind of like non-specific in terms of like what locality any of their music suggests. But I did enjoy that video because it was like, and it was the closest thing to me that reminded me of the like campiness of Beatlemania yeah. and that kind of that kind of Britishness like the pop cultural side of Britishness yeah I, th- I was really charmed by it yeah and um, Posh Spice looks amazing <laughs> so see I, th- I find that they are well they're absolutely beautiful women obviously but like I find that the Spice Girls applied too much goddamn makeup at all times <laughs> to the point where they look clownish Ginger in particular. Yes. Especially Ginger. She has a very, like, she almost feels like a drag queen sometimes. Because have you you seen a picture of her, like, as, you know, after the Spice Girls just her in general? Yes, and, like, recently, She looks like, kind of, like, Earth Mother, like, her natural hair and her natural face. And it's just so funny that she used to have this bright red hair with little white wisps and this giant red lipstick. Like, I can see what you mean. It's really jarring, um, especially knowing what they actually look like. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, I agree. We didn't talk about the puppet music video. Huh? Yeah, we didn't talk about Viva Forever. Wait, what? Puppet music video. Yeah, I'm sad that you missed this. It's hideous. I listened to these songs, but I didn't... I think I was listening into the car while I was cooking, so I wasn't watching oh the music God. videos again, so... So this is the video for a song from the Spice World Ew. album. <laughs> I made extensive notes because what? this video was amazing. The story of this music video is a bird whose body is made of springs hatches from an oversized plastic Easter egg and leads children through an enchanted forest... Eventually, they come upon the Spice Girls as claymation fairies. This is Viva Forever? Yeah. I know what that song is. It doesn't seem like that would fit. (laughs) It does not. (laughs) So I just watched the Viva Forever video for the first time in my life. How did I never see that before? Uh, Nightmares Forever. (laughs) Also Viva Forever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who wrote and conceptualized this video and how high were they? So I saw like a picture of that and I was like, gross. Then I started the video and it takes a while for the actual, (laughs) 
<laughs> spiced things to fly out. <laughs> yeah, you got to get lured into that forest. They came out and I said, absolutely not, and shut it off and refused to watch the it's rest like of it. It's Pan's Labyrinth. I have still, I won't watch the rest. Like, I, it's a nightmare. I don't want to see it. Guillermo del Toro couldn't get his first movie finance, so he did this music video for the Spice Girls. But I kind of love it because it seems like something that would not come from the label itself. Like, they would be, like, against that. <laughs> It took five months to make, longer than Spice World took to make. (laughs) And that shows. Jesus. Oh my God. It's worth watching. Please go watch it. Yeah. And I think. Not before bedtime, though. (laughs) So, in between their second and third album, they released a movie. (laughs) As you do, just in betweensies. A movie called Spice World. Spice World was released January 23rd, 1998 in the US, which was about a month and a half after the release of the album. The budget was $25 million. The box office was $29 million domestically, $56 million worldwide. It had a lot of negative reviews. <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't, don't say. say. <laughs> um, I picked one in particular from Roger Ebert. His review said, The Spice Girls are easier to tell apart than the Mutant Ninja Turtles, but that is a small consolation. What can you say about five women whose principal distinguishing characteristic is that they have different names? <laughs> they occupy Spice World as if they were watching it. They're so detached they can't even successfully lip-sync their own songs. When he reviewed the movie on his show, Siskel and Ebert, in January of 1998, he had said he had already seen the worst movie of 1998, <laughs> which turned out to not be true because his official worst movie of 1998 was Armageddon. Fair enough. Coming soon to the podcast. <laughs> um, Too soon. All the hits. All five Spice Girls won Worst Actress at the Razzies that year. It's a sweep. So I watched Spice World a few years ago for the first time since I was running around the movie theater. <laughs> The same time that I was running around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could not bear to watch it again for this podcast <laughs> because of like two years ago, I rewatched it on one of those like bad movie nights at my mm-hmm. house. And I was like, let's watch Spice World. That's going to be fun. And like parts were fun, but mostly <laughs> I would not like it's no showgirls. It's no face off. Like maybe moments of it are like, oh my God, I can't believe this is a movie. But like trying to get through a movie length version of these antics is really, really tough. So that was my experience two years ago watching Spice World. I couldn't do it again. This movie has no plot. <laughs> You're so upset. This movie... I spent so long waiting for it to get good because, like, okay, so there's so m- there's so much of it that I want to love. So let's uh, briefly to address a lot of the cast of this movie because it is star studded, not really star studded. It's studded with it's people, British people studded, but also like American character actors who were in very random things. This movie stars in whole or in part Jules Holland, who is like a, a British TV host and music producer. George Went from Cheers, Alan Cumming, Richard. E. Grant from With Noel and I, which is like an, a cult comedy classic. Uh, McNulty from The Wire as a fashion photographer. Uh, Jennifer Saunders from French and Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous. Uh, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. <laughs> aliens who visit in the movie for no reason at all. And Roger Moore <laughs> as the bad guy of the movie who played James Bond and is playing like a Dr. Evil alike. I wouldn't call that star studded. <laughs> But it's I get studded it. with something. I get it's it. flecked with something. Yeah. I enjoyed this movie more than I thought that I would. Please leave. 
Granted, that was a fairly low bar. Like, even when I was a kid, I never watched this movie again. And like I said, I was more into, like, running around the movie theater than actually <laughs> paying attention. Have you guys ever, like, watched or you're familiar with, like, A Hard Day's Night and, like, The Beatles and The Monkeys movies that are kind of satires, really? Like, yeah, they're supposed to be kooky, absolutely. episodic adventures that mean nothing. Because that's what this movie was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But... I never watched those Beatles ones. Like, I don't know if they're good. This isn't good either. Oh, I, wa- <laughs> but, I watched like, them. I watched some of them growing up, and I think they're really like cute. And some of them are really well made, um, and they're kitschy, but they're also like genuinely funny and silly. I just, yeah. I think this movie is like Polar Express, where it's like a roller coaster, you know. So you're just supposed it- episodic, you know, but you're supposed to be able to follow the twists and turns. And I just found them so boring and unimaginative at every turn that it just it it didn't even have returns much less diminishing returns so the movie is credited as based on an idea by the spice girls <laughs> which i mean 50%. more movies should be based on spice girls <laughs> ideas i think <laughs> it's a very british movie like i don't i didn't recognize most of the cameos uh and therefore didn't appreciate them um it i kind of enjoyed that it is it has, like, Alan Cumming is making a documentary about the Spice Girls, and then another subplot is that they're trying to make a big Hollywood movie about them, and these plots kind of crash and combine. So it's very, like, meta and self-aware. What I found from this movie is that, like, the Spice Girls are actually, like, really fun to watch, and I think that their performances, although they're just playing themselves, are, like, good. They're all, like, funny comedians. I disagree. I don't, yeah. I think, again, I think they're very theatrical, but that talent is, like, high school level like they're likable people like i walked out of this movie being like sure i still like them i would love to get like a drink of them go to the club with them but like watching even the clips online of them like doing a photo shoot and trying to do these like jokes like they're not comedians (laughs) like they can't land these they can't make any of these terrible lines any better I disagree. Like, I would watch the parts with them again. I think the plot around them is not worth watching again and really kind of drags the movie down. Like, I I probably wouldn't watch this again. But I enjoyed, like, spending time with them. Like, especially when they're trying to just, like, kind of be themselves and it's less about any kind of plot thing. Like, I thought that stuff held up better than I thought it would. My mommy's my best friend. I'm just too... When a little fork and win the couple, I say, are we finished yet? Uh, blah, 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 um, girl power, feminism, do you know what I mean? Oh, no. I feel like they were going for something and they didn't, they didn't succeed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm all for, like, a silly movie with no stakes, with fun episodes, yes! but I felt like they didn't succeed in making it funny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very scattershot. It's, it feels like an episode of Saturday Night Live where, like, a couple of the skits are funnier than other ones. None of them are great. Yeah. I just don't think any of them really land. And I think it's especially sad because all the perform like, the other performers in it are really good comedic actors. Like, the movies that they're good in and known for are very, very different, of course. But they could have done something with better material, I think. Um but also, I don't think the Spice Girls were capable enough actors. Posh Spice is funny. In the, like, when they're wearing all wearing 
camouflage, and then she's wearing like a camouflage. Yeah, dress. I mean, I smiled at my yeah. moment. Like, there's little yeah. things like that. No, that like, at get most, me I got this. like a oh, uh, yeah, which uh, <laughs> is more than I was expecting. So, so after the release of the movie in May 1998, Jerry Halliwell announced she was departing the Spice Girls. So no more ginger. Very abruptly, too. She just kind of left a practice that they were doing before. I think it was like a charity auction show thing that they were just a benefit that they were going to do a guest song on. Yeah, there were rumors. I mean, she claims that she was suffering from exhaustion and wanted to take a break. Other people say there was a rift, you know, a power rift uh, rivalry between her and Mel B. Um, So who knows for sure, but... um, I do. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, you know, it was one of the biggest news stories of the year. It shocked fans. She was one of the major faces of the group, like one of the most iconic ones. I think she was the leader of the group. Maybe unspoken, but she always felt like the leader to me. Yeah, she was the one wearing the Union Jack. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just don't know where else to put this, but I'd like to point out the names of Jerry Halliwell's children is Bluebell Madonna and Montague George. (laughs) And I just really wanted to share that. Nice. Uh, um, congrats. Jerry Halliwell went on to launch her own solo career, as did every single one of the other Spice Girls, and we will get into that in a moment. But first, let's talk about Forever, which was the Spice Girls' last album. It was released November 1st, 2000, written and produced by a ton of people, but none of them from the first two previous albums, besides one song, which was the single Goodbye. That was the only song on the album written by Matt Rowe and Richard Stannard. Um, it was the lowest performing album by a long shot. It went platinum in the UK, but that's it, versus 10 times platinum for their debut album four years earlier. They had three singles, Holler, Let Love Lead the Way, and Goodbye, and honestly, they're kind of forgettable mid-tempo songs. They're so terrible. They're bad, yeah. Yeah. They're terrible. I feel like they're kind of like the worst of the Madonna recent era songs, where it's just like... They're much worse than that. (laughs) They're not good. Yeah. They're not good. And it's, it's just a whole, it's not even their image. It's like, it's this generic, like, yeah. ass shaking, like, R&B kind of thing, which is like, never what they were. I mean, they would like, shake their asses, but in like, a fun way. And this is felt like a like, dead eyed, like, zombie trying to like, pick up a man kind of thing. It's really not cute. Yeah, even looking at like, the album covers or promo materials for comparing the first two albums and this one, there's just something not fun about it. It's like a lot more like we're adults and mature. It's Spice Women, and who wants that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for like evolution and transformation, but this one didn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, you still want it to be fun. Like, they, there's ways to do fun when you're still like more mature. Um, it didn't work, and obviously it didn't. And they also didn't have Simon Fuller. They left his management company. They didn't have their songwriters from the first two albums. They didn't have Ginger Spice. So also it was uh, a few years after. Like, people move on. So I think that's just kind of what happened. People were like, oh, I'm not into the Spice Girls anymore. Like, they've changed, and their image has changed, and I've changed. Their core group grew up. So it wasn't that big of a hit. Yeah, so they kind of kicked off a pop wave that came after, like, grunge music and and hip-hop. And then, like, after they were big, like, that's when we got kind of the Britney and some of the boy bands. I mean, I'm not saying that 
it was all because of them, but I think they were just kind of one of the first ones out there. And then by the end of their career as the Spice Girls, I feel like they were then trying to catch up to everyone else. Like, they started off with a lot of, like, personality and individuality and were, like, even in, like, I watched, the only video I watched was Holler, and they're all, like, kind of dressed the same, and it mm. just doesn't work. Like, there's they're interchangeable. And it's really sad to, like, see them kind of reduced to that. Like, it's one of those things where you, like, oh, I really wish you had quit while you were ahead. So the Spice Girls, after their album Forever, they split up, but... Every single one of them had a very long-lasting, successful solo career. Every single one of them. Even Victoria Beckham, you know, who is kind of being this, like, socialite figure with her, like, fashion and, you know, being in the front seat at runway fashion shows. Even she had a bunch of albums. So I listened to... I really couldn't listen to all of it. Each one of them has at least two to five or more albums. (laughs) Each, especially Mel C. She has a ton. Just seven. yeah. Yeah, she has seven solo albums. So I couldn't listen to all of them. So I just kind of like looked on YouTube for like their most popular video. And I don't know if it's just because like I'm not in England where apparently they're very popular still or I don't really listen to the radio so maybe it wasn't like jammed down my throat but like none of them stood out to me at all. Yeah, I mean I listened to all of the solo uh, tracks that you sent along and I remember Jerry Halliwell's song Look at Me when it first came out because that was a big one like in gay bars and clubs and stuff. And I still think it's a really, really fucking catchy song and the video yeah i don't like it i don't like that song you don't like the video i don't like i don't like that song i love it wait what's the video because i um yeah i never liked that. that's the only one i could tell you off the top of my head like what the song was because i think she was the first one to release something solo i think so so she was like the big star and it's like oh here's my solo mm-hmm. thing and i remember being disappointed by the song she looks amazing in this video let me see All right, we just watched the Look At Me video. I think it's amazing. I think it's better than anything the Spice Girls ever did. And we looked at Becky squirming on the couch the entire time. I like it. (laughs) So I really, I enjoyed that one. I remembered Look At Me and I'd always really liked that song. In the process of rediscovering Jerry's solo career, I also found a single called Bag It Up. And... Condoms? Maybe. Recycling. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll just play it for you guys and then we can talk about it. I think that music video is so fucking incredible. It's like my favorite thing I've seen in ages. It's cute. I can believe you like it that much. (laughs) I'm just not that into the song. Yeah, I didn't think the song was very good. Well, so it's... For those who haven't seen it, it's 
Um, it starts with like Jerry Hallowell and her boyfriend, and he is kind of being like a typical guy with her, I guess. And she's like kind of cooking and cleaning, and then she gives him something called girl powder, which turns his hair pink, and then she becomes like the boss of a factory. Of- she becomes the dom top in the relationship. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of... She goes to a factory where there's a lot of pink-haired men who then are wearing, like, basically the male version of Playboy Bunny outfits and are on stripper poles. And so I feel like she... Like, girl power was always her thing. And I feel like... Like, the, like my controversial opinion, kind of like in the Alanis episode, when I was like, man, I wish she'd stuck with this pop music career... <laughs> Uh, is that, like, the Spice Girls were always holding Jerry back <laughs> and that she's better on her own. And, like, w- I think, like, what she did on her own is so much more interesting than anything with the Spice Girls. It's interesting, yeah. I just don't like the music so much, personally. Well, but also, I don't see in this any definition of what girl power actually is. The music video and the song are all about subjugating men just visually, like in the sense of making them wear those outfits or whatever, but you don't see what actually changed in their relationship dynamic to make her powerful as a woman, other than being the boss of the factory. It's magic. It's literally a magic powder. It's not like a story. But (laughs) but she was wearing a lab coat and mixing the chemicals. I could tell she was scientifically (laughs) rigorous about it. Um, I just think it kind of, for me, emphasized the way that I saw the girl power thing, which was, you know, had some intention behind it, but wasn't a very fleshed out idea. You know what? I think this is a good time to talk about girl power in general. Like girl what powder or girl power? Power. Okay. Um, so that was a slogan that encouraged uh, and celebrated women's empowerment, independence, and confidence. Uh, the slogan's invention is credited to U.S. punk band B- Bikini Kill. They published a zine called Girl Power in 1991, and they were inspired by the black power slogan (laughs) um oxford english dictionary defines girl power as a self-reliant attitude among girls and young women manifested in ambition assertiveness and individualism Uh, there's a lot of feminist authors in the mid-90s that discuss girl power in regards to the new crop of women warriors appearing in pop culture including sydney prescott from scream Hmm. and buffy the vampire slayer Hmm. (laughs) whom i'm not familiar i will go read that right now (laughs) so i think if you said the phrase girl power today most people like around our age would be like oh the spice girls which is probably sad (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's interesting just thinking back i don't know what my opinion is if that was good or bad or did it mean anything? I mean, it's nice that they really didn't exist just for men in their music or, you know, they weren't trying to be like, ooh, look at my tits. Like, you know, they did dress sexy, but it seems like, oh, I'm dressing sexy for me. It's like, I'm showing you my tits because I want to show you my tits, <laughs> not because you want to see them. Yeah, which I think we talked about with Gwen Stefani, you no know, doubt. Like, she dressed sexy, but not in an overt way, and it seemed like she was comfortable in her body dressing like that. Well, and on the kind of political level, they didn't have any kind of critique. They didn't have any kind of, like I was saying, like imagination of what it would look like if power were different in society, like what actual girl power would mean. And because it was also self-directed and individually based, you know, they weren't even thinking about like, what does it mean to be a girl and a woman in a community? Like, at you know, in the 90s was a time, like, Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village, like, people were kind of grappling with 
that and what it meant to empower girls and women in a society that's kind of directly set against women. But I also kind of feel like, I mean, there are way deeper messages about femininity and girl power. Like even Buffy is, has a lot more layers to it than girl power Mm -hmm. um, in this sense. But I think there's something kind of nice that it's just, it doesn't have to be like a big feminist thing. It's just, we like hanging out with our friends. Like we're having a positive time. We're not thinking about boys we're dressing how we want. But where that becomes problematic is that they posed that as being some kind of active rebellion, and they they posed that branding as being a challenge to the existing patriarchal, uh, patriarchal order when they weren't ever trying to actually oppose any of that. I don't think that they did do that, though. I think they just posed it as this is us. Like, other people might have taken it that way, but I don't... Just to say girl power is like, we're having fun. Like, the five of us together is a strong and fun thing to do. But I I don't think that's true, because then it would have been, like, girl fun and, like, girl jolly. And it wasn't that. It's girl power. It's Part of it that I got from them was not just the, you know, talking about female female friendship and how you can be strong with your female friends, um, but that seeing five women be very successful is kind of, like, Mm -hmm. a nice part that i think did work for girl power like these little girls or teenagers like me like could see these five women being very successful releasing music geared towards women and being a success being rich touring the world like not being identified in any like with a man in any respect um that it was nice to see women like that and so that was like an encouraging thing of 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 girl power, I guess, is just, you know, you don't need a man. You can write your songs and be a success on your own or with your other female friends in your community. Um, with with I, your all-male songwriting team. Like, this is, like... it's They wrote their own songs, they, they, too. They also wrote them together. And you can definitely tell that they piecemealed that all together. Like in Yeah. I, I mean, the, yes, there were men helping them, but they weren't in the group. It's not like they were in a band with men. Um, and they... I don't know. Like, obviously, I don't think it's very deep. And the way that they just, it became like a catchphrase of theirs. Like even in Spice World, there's this moment, the movie, where there's a moment where they're all dressing up as each other. And I think Scary dresses up as Ginger. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to do like a Ginger impression. And she says, blah, 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 girl power. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, that's what that phrase has become at that point is nothing. (laughs) But it also was like, it was just something that, they kind of said, and then, like, the media kind of seized onto it. It wasn't like they were necessarily trying to start, like, a revolution. I think that this is the rare piece of entertainment from the 90s that really does exist for, by, and about women. Like, men really have no place in it, even in the love songs. Even someone like Alanis Morissette, who we discussed, like, her album was seen as all about men, even though we kind of disagreed with that when we looked at it. But, like, we couldn't even process, like, her album in less like we thought about it as like all about men and Spice Girls kind of stood apart from that and were able to I mean I don't think it was anything that they did super specifically but that they just Thelma and Louise and Romy and Michelle there's like a couple of pop culture things in the 90s that were but I don't think the Spice Girls are really about anything 
when there are pop culture moments, whether that's groups or bands or movies or whatever, that take the language of revolutionary or oppositional action, but don't actually do anything with that and don't actually challenge any existing power structure. I think those things contribute to those power structures staying the way that they are. And it's like every time we kind of like contextualize, oh, well, like they were using this as a slogan, but it doesn't really do anything to question the way that power is divided. Like to say, oh, they weren't intending to do that is fine. But when they are part of a multi-billion dollar industry that makes them spokeswomen for all women everywhere, there is kind of a responsibility in some way to examine how they contribute to that conversation, or if they do contribute to it. But I really think that they were specifically appealing to young girls who wouldn't have been probably even watching Buffy yet, or, you know, were too young for that kind of statement. They were too young for, like, a really radical thing. They wouldn't have gone for a, like, very political thing. This was just something fun, and, like, if you look at, like, Britney and Christina and the pop divas that, like, America produced after the Spice Girls, they were all very, like, male-gazy, and it was all about, like, looking sexy in a way that was not at all empowering, really. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But I think the Spice Girls did not take the tack of we're going to be different than this by being about the female gaze and being about what women actually want, whether that's a societal or individual question. I think it was so depersonalized that they weren't really about anything. So again, they're not like breaking from the pop mold of like, you know, it, it like a, I don't know, to compare it to another female artist like Liz Fair or something, or to Alanis Morissette. Like, I think part of the way that that critique of her album was sexist was that it was reducing songs that were about what Alanis Morissette wanted, and they were reducing it only to her relationship to particular men. But I feel like that's kind of a double standard, because, like, why do the Spice Girls have to come out with a big political message if all they want to do is sing fun, silly pop songs? Like, that's what they did, that's what they wanted to do, and, like... It, it's not, it a, it's not a double standard. I think the double standard comes into play when we give them more weight in retrospect than they actually even intended to have. Oh, I don't really think that they intended to have as much weight as I think they actually do. I think this might be a good time to play one of the new features we might be doing on the show is having some fans give their input. Um, so mm-hmm. if you are a fan of one of our upcoming to- topics, let us know and maybe we'll uh, have you on. But this... Uh, This recording comes from Julian, an early fan of the Spice Girls. Well, I guess you kind of had to be there to understand fully why they touched so many young girls' lives. But I think the main reason was that being 13 and a young girl living in the Western world, finally there was some girls out there that were saying and singing that it was okay to just have fun with your friends and girl power was a great thing and femininity was fun and beautiful and different. It comes in all shapes and colors and personalities and sizes. And that's pretty inspiring for a 13 year old girl. And look, it's the worst music ever. That movie (laughs) is terrible, but it was fun. And sometimes things can just be fun and silly And sometimes those fun and silly things can also have some weird, deeper underlying meaning. I agree with that. 
I don't think that like I'm gonna watch the Spice Girls as a teen and be like I'm gonna run for president one day. <laughs> but I think that I would feel okay with myself. It's like being allowed to just be a girl without thinking, oh, I'm just a girl. Like, I'm just a girl. <laughs> yeah. Take this pink ribbon off my ass. Yeah, like but without thinking, oh, I'm just a girl. I can't do things or I'm less than. So I think I agree with her. I think we were maybe like a couple years older than this. And I think that maybe the Spice Girls really hit in a bigger way for people who are like a little bit younger than us. Because they it really is something that is probably works better when you're like 12, 13 versus I think that's like true. 14, 15. Yeah, and I didn't pick up on it previously, but I think she also hit on that kind of... It wasn't that they were sanitized, but it was that they weren't talking about adult situations, if no. you will, uh, in any kind, in, in anywhere near the kind of explicit language that a lot of the other pop idols, specifically women pop idols, were doing at the time. So to wrap things up, I personally would say that a lot of their songs really do hold up. But I wouldn't say you need to go out and, like, buy their albums. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't say, like, seek it out. If you, you probably already know the songs that you need to know. Like, I would definitely say Catch Up With Stop Right Now, Too Much, and Say You'll Be There. You know, those are, like, three. Because I think um, Spice Up Your Life and Wannabe have been kind of ubiquitous even since then. So if you haven't heard them, I I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) And I say, uh, check out Cherry Hollowell's solo career (laughs) and mourn the pop diva that she never quite was. And don't watch that movie. Just don't. (laughs) And that's all the garnish we have time for on this dish of When We Were Young. On the next episode... In our next episode, we are digging into the doggy chow, throwing french fries, <laughs> and rubbing ice on our nipples as we watch Paul Verhoeven's critically acclaimed art house triumph, Showgirls. I'm not going to do that. Maybe you can do that. <laughs> I'm doing that all as we speak. Spice Girls is a good thing to show to your daughters. Uh, it's a positive message. Don't show Showgirls to your girls. <laughs> your sons will love it, though. <laughs> your sons are going to love it? So if you have not seen uh, Showgirls, you really should do yourself a favor watch it have people over i watched it alone and it was weird (laughs) not as fun have people over yeah not as fun alone not as fun sober like many things in life the when we were young podcast is a production of the mfp studio studio in los angeles california if you've enjoyed this audiophonic experience please subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review of five stars or more You can contact us on all the social medias and give us suggestions for future episodes. I am Seth Pearson, and I am Cardamom. (laughs) I'm Becky, and I'm Caffeine Spice. And I'm Chris, and I'm drinking a pumpkin spice latte.